Future CEOs, Rising Star Wednesdays. So you want to be a CEO? Sure, go ahead, read your ABCs of Managing book. Or if you really want to be a CEO, then keep on listening to this Future CEOs podcast with your host, Gareth Armstrong, as he gets you up close and personal with real-world CEOs, thought leaders, and industry experts to learn from their experiences and the insight and wisdom they've gained while leading in these challenging and ever-changing times. Are you ready? Then let's do this. Hi, I'm Gareth Armstrong and welcome to Future CEOs. Over the years, I've met many leaders from every industry and walk of life you can imagine. And amongst these, there are a rare few that stand out. Why is this? Well, some might think that it is because of how successful they are perceived to be. And of course, that does impress, but it is more than that. The CEOs and leaders I am referring to are not only successful, but have a confidence and goodness that allows one to feel immediately at ease in their company and also inspired and empowered after having interacted with them. Ofan Padesi, the founder and CEO of ACM Gold, is, in my book, one of these CEOs. He is hugely successful, having only had a small amount of startup capital, which he then used to grow his business into a 4 billion rand multinational. It's about $450 million. More than this, though, this monetary success that we measure everything by and we celebrate the way that we do, more than this, he seems to have that X factor I see only rarely that I was describing earlier. We had a very interesting discussion, and I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. Here he is. Ofan Padesi, founder and CEO of ACM Gold. Welcome to Future CEOs. Thank you, Gareth. Thank you for having me over. Talk us through ACM. So what we see online is, is a portal, but talk us through ACM itself. So Gareth, every single company in this world, you know, in, in my opinion, that, that goes and takes the right direction, they, there's a reason behind their existence. The world at this stage doesn't need another brand. So what I would rather tell you is why do we exist? Mm, please. And, and why we exist is we are, you know, we understood this market from get-go, you know, just after university, I somehow came across this industry. And we understood that there is there's this whole wide market out there. And because of technology, it will become more and more accessible. Mm. So we got into this industry realizing that we would like to just take this technology understand, get all the knowledge that's, that's around this, around the foreign exchange, around the financial markets, around the gold trading markets and CFD trading markets, and, and go to emerging economies and empower other people and provide them all the knowledge and transfer them all the information to set up a business in our industry. Mm. And that's what ACM Gold is all about. We are just out there to assist other people to become part of this industry. So hold on. <laughs> what I'm hearing you saying is that you're out there to create competitors for yourself. Spot on. <laughs> Absolutely spot on. You're going to have it. to explain that. So basically, th this is how it works, right? The industry is extremely, extremely big. And, and in business, more often than not, there's always a way of, of a win-win. I mean, to give you a, a basic example to understand or make or clarify this point, um, you know, if, if, if an FNB was the only bank in South Africa today, mm. in our belief, they would have had less number of customers than they have now. 
Okay. And that's because there's a lot of knowledge and there's a lot of information that needs to be transferred to the clients. And more than one people can do it quicker and better. Mm. So in essence, you're absolutely right. I mean, you've really hit the nail on the head. We are trying to create competition for ourselves. And what happens essentially is eight out of 10 of those people, because we have empowered them to bring the best out of them to come into this industry, they end up using our technology. However, as surprising as it may sound, they're not obliged to. Okay. And we don't charge for this. Okay. Yeah. You're not doing a great job of convincing me that this is a profitable business. <laughs> <laughs> well, so far it's been all right. So far it's been all right. I mean, we've been growing quite steadily. Um, we are in the top 25 uh, forex companies in the world. Okay. And and that trip has been amazing. I mean, it's it's you know it's come from a 200,000 rand investment 10 years ago, and now we are worth worth 400 million dollars. Mm. So I think we are doing all right. Yeah, you, you are doing all right. <laughs> Um, so let's talk a little bit about that journey. Where did it all begin? So you've, you've shared why. Now share the how and the what, if you don't mind. The journey actually began began in the UK um, when I was an investment banker, and I was part of these markets from a from a client's perspective. And it was interesting what was out there, and it was interesting how. It was like this elite club um, mm. that you could only be part of if you were an investment banker. And, other, and the outside world was not really given the, the transparency into, into our world. Sure. And coming from, coming from a background where, where my family and my father especially, he was an entrepreneur. He made a lot of money during his life and mm. he lost it all by the time I was even born. Which is what happens with entrepreneurs. Which is what time. happens for some odd reason. You know, I mean, it's become quite a cliche. You know, I'm yet another typical garage entrepreneur and it's, you know, it's nothing new. Everybody is a garage entrepreneur these mm. days. But what was exciting in my life was and what really worked for me was when I got that job, it was my dream job in a way. And my father was not excited. Okay. So with that job, I was supporting my family, and yet I could see this kind of resentment on my father's face that what is my son doing? He was mm. born to be an entrepreneur. And he somehow convinced me, or at least gave me these thoughts that I should be quitting. And I, I took these thoughts to my boss, and, and he turned around to me and said something very interesting, which has stuck with me all my life. Okay. And he said to me, if you don't want to take risks, risks in life, you'll end up working for those who do. Mm. Okay, and that nice. statement, Gareth, was, was the be-all, end-all for me. You know, it was literally that moment uh, that I resigned. And when I say that, I mean, it sounds like very Hollywoody, but literally that particular moment, I said to him, you know what, I'm just going to go and give you my resignation. I want to leave in a week. Mm. And I took a 94% cut in my salary and went back to Pakistan, where I'm originally from. And my father was the happiest person in the world. Yes, I had to sort of really compromise on my lifestyle for quite some time. Sure. Uh, I started teaching. I became a university professor for a bit. Okay. But at the back of my mind, this this trading really sort of really got me high. You know, mm. I mean, I, I just tasted that part of the world and I wanted to be part of it as an entrepreneur. Mm. And the timing was just perfect, you know, because the technology was there, which really just allowed me to get into this industry. Okay. Talk us through then that discovery process. So you connected with the world of banking. Mm -hmm. You then have definite entrepreneurial roots. How did it come together? You, you spoke about timing. I believe it was um, it was a mix of timing, initiative, and luck. Mm. What what essentially happened at that time? I have a co-founder that happens to be my sister. Uh, okay. And, and don't ask me questions about how this family relationship works here, <laughs> because it works brilliantly, as surprising as it okay, may sound. Um, she's older than me, but yet from day one we never had this qualm about who's going to manage the company. From I mean, since I've turned 21, I've been the CEO of the company. Mm. So we've never had that, those discussions, but she was a trader and she had seen the platform side and the retail side of the market in the UK. Mm. She saw that as an opportunity 
when I went to see her, because I was living in the UK as well, my job was in the UK, I started in the UK. Sure. Um, when, we, when we saw that as, as, as a platform, we said, okay, why don't we get into this market and ask one of the brokers to help us to get into this market? And it was a bit of a challenging task. But I think when I said luck, what played well was Pakistan does, wasn't necessarily the most highlighted country in the world. Okay. So most brokers didn't want to enter that market. Mm. Not themselves anyway, for, mostly for security reasons. And that was the opportunity. You know, the opportunity was the broker would only assist us if we were giving him business from a market they would not like to enter otherwise. Mm. So for them, it was a win. For us, it was a win. But there was nothing stopping us in taking that product and marketing it globally. You know, I mean, the agreement never said you can only get customers from Pakistan. Sure. So that's that's where the, you know, there's always some, something good comes out of something bad. Mm. Um, you know, as much as I hate that Pakistan was going through that situation, um, and still, in, it, even to date, um, in some sense, it is. Mm. It that really gave us an opportunity. Your words make me think of I think it's Professor Clayton Christensen, if I'm remembering correctly, from Harvard. I think it's Harvard. If he's listening to this and it's not Harvard, I apologize. <laughs> he spoke about going into markets where there is zero competition. But he said, go where there is nothing and build a market there. And that's what I think I hear you saying that, that you were able to do. So in a, in a lot of respect, um, absolutely yes. Um, this, was, this was essentially a raw market for us. Well, Pakistan was, was in, there, was, there was absolutely no competition, you know, so we had to introduce the product. However, over the years, you know, that, that really played in our, in our advantage. We had to customize the product a lot to the local mm -hmm. markets. And if we did not do that, the, the equipping people with the knowledge that's required to understand these markets, the costs attached to that would have been a lot higher if we did not customize the products. Sure. And, you know, sometimes, I mean, over the years, we've realized that it's just basic, simple things that you need to do. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. All mm -hmm. you need to do is just basic things to customize the markets for the local audience. And it, and it was an interesting ride for us because people accepted the product. It was localized. It was something they could understand. Mm. And what it also did for us was it kind of created a niche for us because we were the only ones in the world doing things the way we were doing things. Okay. You know? And it might become slightly complicated, but what I'm essentially saying is the world trades gold in denominations of ounces, mm. and the prices of gold are quoted in denominations of dollars per ounce. Okay. All we did was use the mathematical formula to convert that into rupees per tola. And tola okay. is a local medium of weight that's okay. used for gold in Pakistan. And that just resonated with everybody in the country. We didn't do it in the first year, and we were not very successful in the mm. first year. Come second year, when we did that, it was as if our lives has changed. Mm. And even today, people say, wow, you guys were innovators, but that was not innovation. That was an Excel formula saying, this, multiply this, divide this, give the right rates, please. Mm. But those small little things, and I've, I think that's resonated with me all my life, that it's just those simple things that you need to do. You know? Don't try and overcomplicate things, and that's what I hear you, you were doing. You spoke the language that resonated with the market that you were uh, applying to. Well, to just put it simply, my nephew at that time was nine years old. And if he could understand the product, we were good to go. So honestly, he was our head strategist at that time. Very nice. Every strategy was presented to him. And if he could say, yes, uncle, I understand what you're trying to say. Mm. That was a product that could have gone to the market. If he could not understand, we stayed away from it. Okay. We, didn't, we didn't need the biggest consultants in the world to, to tell us what, what needs to be done. Mm. I think he was a better consultant for us. Fantastic. So spot on. That is exactly what I'm trying to say. It's mm. just those basic, simple things. Fantastic. Now, we're actually not here to speak about <clears throat> ACM Gold. 
Although it's a fascinating conversation, we're actually here to talk to you about you. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how you feel about opening up to our audience, but I'm going to ask a couple of questions and hope um, to get as much from you as possible. Sure. I, I hope I can add, add value I'm, because no, that's the reason I'm here. No, no, I'm, I'm definitely sure you will. Let me just begin with a simple one, but maybe not so simple. What does it take to be a CEO? Remember, we're talking to a future CEO's community, ambitious entrepreneurs, high potential executives in many cases, and they have this the eye on the prize, and the prize often is a, a title, the CEO title. So let's help them out a little bit. What does it take to be a CEO? Let's start with the, with a the line that's resonated with me almost all my life. If you don't want to take risks in life, you'll end up working for those who do. Okay, yes, yes. You said that in the beginning, and I, I feel like it, that's going to be a common theme for the rest of our discussion. <laughs> Gareth, you have to lose some to get some. And in my humble opinion and in my experiences, Every single time I've seen somebody doing well for himself, there's only one common thread. And it's actually not skill. It's just initiative. It's just grit. Mm. You know, so if what does it take to be a CEO? Uh, what does it take to lead a company? You just need grit and determination. Mm. And over the years, I've learned that any skill in the world can be taught, but hunger and passion cannot be taught. Mm. So ask yourself if that is what you want to do and if you are willing to work towards it. And you can, you can learn from the best experiences of not just business leaders, but everyone. I remember sitting with Pete Sampras once, and, and we were having breakfast, and we were talking about, you know, I mean, I was, I was, I'm the biggest fan of that guy. Mm-hmm. And he said to me that all my life, when my friends were out partying on Saturday nights, I was going home and sleep because I had to be practicing at 6 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. So he didn't acquire that skill by chance. He acquired that skill with consistency. And consistency, in my humble opinion, precedes mastery, or at least results in mastery. It, it does, yes, you know, absolutely. So what, what's required is just that, just that thought process that, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in it. You know, I believe in it so much so that I will make it work. Mm. And that comes, you know, either I, there's, there's this fire in you already. Um, it's either because of the kind of people you spend your time with. But all in all, that's all you need. Very, very nice. So your developmental journey is important to us, and you've shared a little bit already, but maybe you can just go back in time and share with us a couple of early influences that really shaped who you are today. It's an interesting one, Gareth, because, you know, I believe the one really, really crucial thing that really drives behavior around the world is is inspiring to towards somebody. Mm. Um, and you need to have people, you know, you inspire to become for you to get there or for anybody to get there, for me to get there. I mean, just to give you an example, a, a hundred meter dash runner will not come out of Silicon Valley, is gonna come out of Jamaica. Sure. Because the national hero is a hundred meter dash runner and hence all the tech startups um, are doing extremely well in Silicon Valley because their national heroes are the Bill Gates and the Steve Jobs of the world. Yep. You know, so, I mean, over the years, um, there've been, there've been a lot of people. I mean, one that really stands out for me was, his name is a Greek guy named Stelios Ionos. He used to own a brand, well, he still owns a brand called EasyJet and the Easy Hotels. and. You know, he had a similar background to where I come from, and that's why I could resonate with him a lot more than I could resonate with the creators of McDonald's and Walmarts and Starbucks, you know, because I don't share similar experiences to them. Mm. I mean, he went to similar, same university, his, his family background was similar, and he's been quite an inspiration because of the way he's managed to lead people. And he really understands the difference between really delegating, managing, and leading. Mm. 
you know i mean we unfortunately live in a world where we try to google best practices yeah from around the world and we try and implement and we wonder why don't they work mm. you know because that's telling people what to do all we need to do is tell people why we're we doing what we're doing and what is it that we need to achieve for this particular reason and let them do how they want to do it mm. you know so that's that guy has really definitely definitely taught me that uh, ronda bryan is is a uh, byron i think that's how how you yeah, the, yeah. The, the the lady who wrote the secret um i've spent actually some time with her i've been lucky enough um and she just opened up my my thinking my thought processes on just optimism just complete optimism you know just look at the bright side of things and just you know i mean literally just create the the, the world in your head first and that resonated with me because because my father used to believe in that mm-hmm. and growing up you know i mean the kind of environment i was growing up in when he used to say these things it never used to resonate with me because our living conditions were not sort of aligned with the kind of optimism he wanted in our heads as i said to you, you know my father you know did really really well in his lifetime um he's actually taken three knocks so he's he's lost it all won it all lost it all three times yeah. and you know that really shows me now when i look back you know I, he passed away 5 years ago uh, but when i look back i i really understand what kind of grit that individual had and mm-hmm. what kind of influence he had on me without me even kind of inspiring towards him at that time mm-hmm. because you know our leaderboards and the way of ranking systems that we develop from where we come from are very different to what we find out once we are on that board you sure. know i mean to to put that into numbers and you know, people always talk about net worth and this and that and lifestyle and lifestyle products whereas once you start getting onto that board you know those those things really become secondary yeah exactly so what i really mean is you know the people around you they they kind of shape you who you are and from that perspective either you need to get out of that thinking or or you need to sort of start inspiring towards people who you can really resonate with mm. and not everybody can resonate with the world leaders because for there's too much of a distance between what we have seen in our lives and what they have seen in their lives yeah so in essence all all i'm saying is try to find somebody who you genuinely from the depth of your heart can resonate with and say you know what yes i inspire to become this person or somebody like him but at the same time i believe from the depth of my heart that i can mm. so don't try to fool yourself everybody says oh yeah 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 great because steve jobs has said that give people product that you think is right because they don't know what they want mm. well you know what you, if you have a steve jobs in your company then maybe you have the right to think that way sure. otherwise think about what the customer wants mm. and work around it sure. yes you can add a feature or two that you think you know the customer doesn't know he wants but sure, sure. your whole product you need somebody like him mm. you know so that that's that's essentially what i'm saying you know it's it's your your environment the problems that you see as a problem i always i call this scratch your own itch sure don't nice. try and pick up a particular problem that exists in the us and try implementing that particular solution in south africa first just go out in the market and see do you really see that as a problem yeah because if you do it's going to keep haunting you for the rest of your life up until the point you don't resolve it mm. and every good business is based on literally one premise which is what problem am i solving mm. yeah exactly uh, i i heard a nice saying and i'm well, i'm probably going to butcher it if i try and say it but i think it goes if i can solve the world's problems i'll have the world's money i think it was something something to that effect the message would be the same i think yeah. it's it's the most brilliant way to put it mm. you have to be every good business is solving a problem mm. every business and that that's a very important point let's fast forward a little bit into your journey and let's talk about you as a, a young entrepreneur executive maybe at the beginnings of acm maybe not what was one of the biggest mistakes that you made and the the lesson that came out of that 
Wow. You know, it's something I still think about every day mm. in a good way. Mm. I know for a fact the biggest mistake that I made was I didn't give as much importance to developing the people that were part of my team as much as I should have. Okay. And it was it was literally about, you know, like any other business person, you're thinking that when I make this much money, I'm going to get people from the outside who have done this before and they okay. will just make me into a corporation. Okay. And initially, I always thought that way as well. And over the years, I started realizing that great companies are not companies that can afford to get people who have done it before. Mm. Great companies are companies that can develop people internally faster than anybody else. Sure. And I've actually come up to a conclusion that's that stayed with me. You know, when, when you're making 100 rands in profits, you're spending, let's say, 5 rands or 10 rands or 20 rands in developing people, you know, and that's a substantial percentage. And this is just development. I'm not talking, you know, all the additions that come with it. And this sure, is just sure. pure development outside of your office environment. Mm. Let's say at, at that time or any company your size was still spending 10 rands and you're spending 20 and you're feeling good about yourself. As soon as you move and you start making 1,000 rands, most companies, including ourselves, we said, well, we're already spending double everybody else spends. Sure. So we're good to go. Mm. And I think that was the biggest mistake I made. Mm. Because when you're developing people, you shouldn't be thinking in terms of the absolute amounts. You should be thinking in terms of percentages. Mm. And if we had spent 200, keeping the same percentages in mind at that time, I think things would have been very, very different. Not in terms of financials or anything, but it would have opened up a lot more things. It would have created a lot more trust a lot earlier. Sure. Good thing is we realized this after the first three years of our business. And okay, yeah, that's quite quick, actually. That was quite quick, and we switched. And then after that, I think coming to South Africa a couple of years later, I think I ended up making a similar mistake again. Oh, really? Okay, and, and it was not about developing people now, but it was about I want to be a big corporate, and I want to do this, and I want to do that. Okay. And I want to be the chairman of the board and not the CEO. So let me get people who can do this for me. Mm. Where do I go? I go to the big corporates, mm. hire the, you know, get the big guns. And nothing against them, but maybe their belief system is different. And I'm not generalizing, trying to generalize here, but if, if they're used to a certain environment, the hunger and the passion of building a business from from scratch is not something that resonates with them. You know, sure. They're used to a different kind of environment where... You know, they do things differently. Let's yeah, just put it this way. Let's, you know. say, let's just call it things are structured differently. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I, I went around getting those people to to sort of transform my business. And, you know, sooner than later, you know, those people were not part of the company anymore. Mm. And that taught me another lesson that, you know, if I was, if, it, if there's such a strong belief that hunger and passion cannot be taught, if there's such a strong belief that I have that any skill can be taught, and if I have a belief of, being able to spend that money to develop these people, then the people that are in the company, every single individual can can achieve this. I mean, if I had their background, I would be sitting where they were. Mm. But because somebody gave me that push, I came to where I am. I mean, I was a Star I was a Starbucks waiter 11 years ago. So that fear in me has gone away. And I think to myself, if nothing else happens, I hope Starbucks will give me a job. Sure. You know, and now it's all about just developing the people around me 
uh, to a point where they can become the future leaders, you know, uh, of the company. I mean, we have spun off a lot of companies out of our business because we've seen that entrepreneurial gene our, in our company, and mm. that's why that's why we do what we do. Very nice. Know? I mean, we have happiness indexes in our company. We have, you know, development indexes. We have behavioral indexes, and funnily enough, people are measured on that. 80% of their remuneration is measured on that and only oh, really? 20% okay. on their targets. There is a commitment from our side. And this is going to sound very strange and this has been done recently. There's a commitment from our side that nobody will ever be asked to leave the company if they don't meet their targets. Okay. They do not have to meet their targets. We just need the behavior that they are working towards it. That's all we need. That alignment. Yeah, so what I hear you talking about is I hear alignment of values. I hear searching for and aligning passions to certain kinds of interests and, and, and skill sets, certainly, but you're saying skills can be developed, so yes. it's not, that's yes. not a, yes. a concern for you. You're really looking at the fundamentals, and that's where it's all going to come from. Absolutely. And they need to believe what we believe. You know, I mean, if, if their belief system is different, that doesn't mean their belief system is wrong. It's just not aligned, and that's what we need to know. You know, if it is aligned, they can become part of the team. We will teach them to a point where they start meeting their targets. But our targets are not your typical numerical targets, give us a million rands, earn the company to a million rands. They are very, very unique to us because two years ago I learned something. Well, I learned it a lot of years ago, but I think you get distorted, and I made a mistake for three years. I think we were trying to follow everybody else. Sure. And that's where we started realizing that every company is like, like, an, like a human, like an individual. Mm. Every company has got their own DNA, and Googling best practices is not going to get me results. I need to start thinking of my own. You do realize what is going to happen after sharing this. Is that you're going to get uh, 20, 30, 100 people coming here and wanting to be employed by you because you measure on a happiness index versus targets. <laughs> Look, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's actually exciting. I mean, people that have qualified or the people that have resonated with us, you know, already we only keep one out of 120 people. Say, say that again. Uh, so the people who are actually sitting on the floor that you saw just now, yeah. um, these people, this, they, they were chosen out of 120 people each one of them. So the okay. probability is almost like 0.8%. So I would love to have those hundreds of people walk in, <laughs> you know. And, and we, we never stop recruiting. We are not looking for particular titles. We are looking for hungry, passionate people. Their belief has to align with us. Yes, they have to have a bit of a skill set because we are a financial services company and the FSB requires that. Sure. And we love being and controlling that environment, you know, because we are very, very tight on our regulations. Mm. However, we can create titles, because our belief system is titles shouldn't matter. Sure. You know, so it really doesn't matter you know, who walks through um, as long as there's some alignment there. I am interested in just exploring this point for a moment, and that is your ability to you know, sort the wheat from the tares. How do you find that one individual? Really, I guess what I'm asking is there are a whole bunch of young people who are saying, yes, that's a phenomenal way to measure people, to find people, uh, to grow my business. Businesses are grown on the back of the people in their businesses. Absolutely. Uh, so that's a very important point as well. How do you find that one? So it's not how do I, it's actually how do we. Sure. Um, sure. And why I say that is, you know, we, we've managed to create this, this amazing tribe of people that are doing everything in their power to pull their way to ensure the company sticks to its path and to its direction. Hmm. So... Every new person that sort of walks in, it becomes every single person's responsibility. So we don't believe in just bringing in a person, saying to the team, hey, you go, you have a new tribe member. Okay. Because that's not how tribes used to work. Mm. So what essentially happens is it's a long process, um, but it essentially starts with 
behavioral interviews. Um, it starts with personal meetings. And once those two or three interviews have been done, then it really moves very offline. We would invite them for drinks, we would invite them for coffee, we would probably invite them for dinner. And we would keep meeting them a few times, you mm. know. And it really comes down to, would we enjoy spending time with this person? Can we really discuss things with this individual openly? Can we trust this person? Or at least are we getting that feeling that we can trust this mm. person, you know? So we're looking for, for one of those guys who could be very, very friendly with the whole environment, you sure. know? And once we have realized that, that yes, this person is a good fit, then we ask them, so can you really do what needs to be done? Sure, that's when the skills come in. That's, and that's the right, right, right to the end. Because, you know, sometimes we've realized that there were people who didn't have the skills. So we used to do it the other way around. We used to say, let's just see that if they have the skills because what happens if we end up liking them and they can't do what we do? Mm. And we started realizing that, you know, a lot of people had the skills and the culture fit was not there and we were trying to create excuses for ourselves to get that person on board mm. because that person could do what we needed done. Yeah, exactly. And that was cancerous. Mm. So now we've switched because sometimes you end up liking the person so much and you say to yourself, well, you know what, the skill can be taught, it's fine. Let's just get this person on board. It's like if each one of us have a few of our friends who share some completely different things, mm. but yet we love spending time with them. Yeah. It's just getting those people through the door and still giving them an opportunity to still become part of the team. And the only way that is possible is we don't ask skill questions right till the end. And it's worked tremendously. You know, it's worked tremendously. Yes, we all make mistakes here and there and we start sort of, we try and, you know, ensure that things work out. But more often than not, it's a very open conversation even if the things don't because it's not that they're not good people because we've already vetted that. Sure. It's just that, maybe they want to do different things in life. Mm. And if that's not aligned, that doesn't mean what they want to do is wrong. Sure. It just means is what we as a tribe want to do is not resonating with it. Yeah, the, the, the ultimate direction that you're going to be traveling sure. in is a couple of degrees different. What, in your opinion, do leadership and management books not teach about being a CEO? Wow, I could go on for the whole day. <laughs> <laughs> let's Let's start with in my humble opinion, what it teaches, which is not good. Okay. So, you know, we, we've, been, we've been growing in an environment where it's all about structuring business plans, financial plans, financial models, you sure. know, and, and so on and so forth. And yes, maybe it's required, you know, for if, you, if you're trying to raise money, which I'm not a big fan of, but if you're trying to raise money or if you're trying to, you know, get finance and stuff. But all in all, you know, the markets are changing so quickly mm -hmm. that you cannot have these strategies, these long-term plans of how you would react to certain things because you cannot foresee them. Industries are changing. As we all know, you know, 10% of the people will be employed in the next 10 years in industries that do not exist yet. Mm. And that's a massive number. That basically means that 10% of the workforce would actually be doing things that we don't even know we what don't those even things know. are. Yeah. And how do you create a strategic plan in, in environments like that? You know, And that's where the opportunity is. That's where the disruptors come in. That's where the new guys can really, you know, the, the David's and the Goliath story becomes powerful. You know, mm. this is, this is, these are interesting times. You know, I'm, we're fortunate to be born in these times. So the books just try to make you too structured. And I believe 
we need to understand that and we need to move forward with that. We just need to be quick with our decisions mm. and we need to change them very, very slowly rather mm. than the other way around. Okay. But what books teach you is that you have to do absolutely everything in your power to make sure you're reaching the right decision. Mm. And then if things don't work, you just change them. Sure. You know, life should be completely the other way around. And what they don't, again, is really the power of, of things around you that influence you. The power of problems that you see as a problem. It, these are simple, simple things mm. that are around you, that are bugging you. And going around looking for solutions for those problems are what great businesses are built on, as we said earlier. Yeah. And books are not showing you the direction. Uh, books are not saying... Books are talking about look at the market size. Uh, books are talking about look at the competition. Books are sure. talking about look at your branding and this and that. Mm. But somebody who's starting out he doesn't have the budget to look at all those things. You know, exactly. What he needs to know is besides the friends, family, and fools, is there somebody who would really buy their product mm. not because you're trying to sell it to them but because it is solving a critical problem? Yeah, because it scratches their itch, as you, as you mentioned Wow, earlier. thank you for remembering that, guys. <laughs> no, no, that, that's going to stick with me forever. Thank you for that. So we've spoken about a very interesting journey that you've been on. Now you, in, in a way, are dismissing many of the, the leadership and management books that are out there, and we appreciate you doing that, by the way. What has been one of your biggest light bulb moments as you have moved into the role as a CEO? So... You were a founder, you're an entrepreneur by nature, mm -hmm. but there are certain structural elements to being a CEO. What was one of your aha moments or your light bulb moments as you've, you've really taken on that role? I believe it's, it's, it was the day or it was the times when I started realizing that I don't need to be the smartest guy in the room. It's the time when I realized that I shouldn't be the one who needs all the answers. I'm not the person who has all the answers. Mm. My job... If I don't want to, if I want to lead, and there's a difference between leadership and management, Absolutely. a huge one. And if I want to lead and if I want to take this organization and every single individual in this organization, and if I want to assist them achieve their goals is when the company will achieve our goals. Mm. So literally two things. One, I shouldn't be worried about achieving company goals. I should be worried about all my job is literally just to worry about how would the individuals that are part of the tribe, how would they achieve their goals? Mm. As soon as they start achieving their goals, the company automatically achieves its goals. And their goals could be different. You know, Their goals could be um, they want to go on a holiday. Their goals would be they want to get back to their spouse if they're in a difficult relationship. And it's about assisting them with those things. You know, It's about really counseling these people. And secondly, you know, as, as I said, I don't have to be the smartest guy in the room. I believe my job is only to get the best out of people. That's all my job is. And I need to find people who are smarter than me. Mm. I have to leave the work to people who breathe that work. And that's why we believe in, in outsourcing a lot. Because every single morning we ask questions to ourselves and every single meeting we ask a question to ourselves. What we are doing, you know, and these are small things. You want to market a product. You want to develop a product. Small basic things that you come across in life. And every single time we ask ourselves, can we become the best in the world in developing this product? And if the answer is no... Then we should find the best in the world. Then we should find the best in the world or at least somebody who could be best in the world. Sure. You know, and it doesn't have to be the whole wide world. It could be our world, people around us, you know, people who we can interact with. Because I really believe that you know, the human relationship 
aspect of me sitting with you, touching you, shaking hands with you, having dinner with you will not go away. So we really believe in doing business with people who you could do that with. Mm. And, and we find those people and we just ask ourselves, what is this one thing we want to be best in the world at? And that one thing is to get the best out of other people. That's mm. our thing. It's about building relationships. It's just about that for us. Everything else gets outsourced. So as a CEO, you need to do that within the organization so the organization and every single tribe member can actually do it with people outside the organization. Mm. That's the CEO's job. Everything else just follows. Now, here's a related question. An interesting uh, maybe nuance or, or difference may come out here. Uh, so please finish this sentence for me. As a CEO, my highest priority every day is to ensure... That I get the best out of people. Okay, so we're going to go. <laughs> that is definitely your answer for both the light bulb moment and what you need to be doing Absolutely. every day. That's a fantastic answer. And I, I'm very glad that there's consistency there because a lot of the time I actually ask that question to CEOs and they give different answers. So, very nice. Thank you. What's the best advice you've ever received? Wow, I, I believe it's. There is literally just one line. And. This line has become so important to me. Maybe I read it somewhere, but now I feel more close to this particular line because I've experienced it. Even if somebody forgets every single one of the lectures, conferences, books, events they've attended to develop themselves, please, even if you forget all of those things, even if they forget the whole interview that we've had so far. Okay. As long as this is the we pinnacle, right? all can remember, we will always be an average of five people we spend the most time with. Mm. We really have to look around who are we spending this time with. Mm. Forget literally everything. This is it. This is critical. We are an average of five people we spend the most time with. Ideally, we want to be around people who we inspire to become. Sometimes that's not possible. Sometimes you have family that needs to, yeah, <laughs> stick, sure, to stick around, etc. But where you have a choice, be selfish enough because it's your life. And if you really want happiness and excitement or whatever you want in life, everybody has got different priorities. Make sure that you understand one thing. You'll always be an average of five people you spend the most mm. time with. It's an interesting thing that you've just said. And I take a moment just to consider it because on the one hand, you're speaking about becoming successful and you need to spend time with those kinds of individuals. And then on the other hand, you're speaking a lot about people who share your same values and ambitions. Sure. And the coming together of those two things is so important. ACM Gold being, and, and just mention the numbers again, 200,000 Rand investment to now. $400 million. 400 million. 4 billion Rand. Yeah. I mean, that is really a product of those two things who you're spending time with and the values and the ambitions that you hold there. Absolutely. It's just a product of helping people get into this industry. It's mm. a product of creating competition for ourselves. It's a product of power to the people, mm. you know. And those numbers don't mean anything if it was just affecting our lives. But right now, thousands of livelihoods around the world are linked to us, mm. thousands. And that's, that's where the excitement comes in. When I don't wake up in the morning, and I'm getting a bit lazy about waking up in the morning. The only thing that gets me out of bed is there's 3,000 lives that I'm responsible for. That's and these are remember, only yeah. people who are linked to us. If, we, if I start including their employees and stuff, you're sitting at over 10,000 people. Mm. You know, and that's, that's really what, what, what it's all about. I must tell you that often I sit with people and, and I hear them say the, the good stuff, the right stuff, the, the fluff. But my impression of you, before the, even the interview begins, you came in here and 
and there was a warmth to you. And, and so I believe that you're authentic and genuine. And, and that's a very important thing also for our listeners. The point that I'm trying to get at here is that what you have developed, what you have grown, is literally a product of what you're saying. This is not just fluff. Look, obviously we're, we're sitting in an interview and, and I understand where, you, where you're coming from. Remember, I, I said to you, I've become fearless mm. because I know Starbucks will give me a job. Sure. You know, if everything had to just go away. Mm. So, for for me, yes, there's there's a lot of mistakes that we have made over the over over the period. There's there's lots of times when we got diverted. I said to you, for three years we started following other people, and it was all about making money. Mm. For three years we said, okay, if this is how everybody else does it, that's how we're going to do it. Mm. And those three years was not ten years ago. Those three years was that whole thing just finished a year and a half ago. So this was three years in South Africa. It was a new market for us. And that's the excuse. And all excuses are lies. I believe it was just that we started following other people's footsteps. Yes, I could probably blame it on the five people maybe I was spending time with at that time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but again, that would be an excuse because sure. you're the, you have the power of, you know, of your own destiny. So yes, you, the questions are giving me an opportunity to give the bright side of things. Mm. And there is a lot of things that we're not being able to conversate at the moment. However, saying all that, if I did not believe in it, and if I was not fearless, I don't know, maybe it could have been things that I would have been making up on the fly. I mean, I didn't even know what questions to expect. And I don't know if there's consistency in my answers. You know, I I leave that onto the listeners. But this is who I am. This is what I believe. There is no bars old. You can ask me anything and I would be more than willing to answer about anything. And and I know for a fact there will at least be a few listeners that know me personally. Mm. And and they would they would second that. And if they don't second that, then I've failed miserably. Sure. You know, and not failed by not being able to make up stories correctly, <laughs> but, <laughs> but failed by not conveying the message um, and conveying what we really strongly, strongly believe in. I mean, our partners, our clients, they're, our, they're right there, they're open. And I said to you, you know, we are, we are, we're going to take a step. We are taking further steps in, in, in going the route where it's apparent to absolutely everyone around there that this is what our belief system mm. is. You know, we don't want to sell what we do. We just want to tell people why is it that we do what we do. Mm. And if you resonate with that, then please come and join hands. And if you don't resonate with that, we're not saying you're wrong. All we're saying is it's just not, there's no alignment there. Yeah, we've, we've got differences. Okay, very nice. Thank you. What are your three pillars of CEO leadership then? You've given us a lot of information. You've probably identified the pillars. Let's just pull it into a little bit of a structure. What are your three pillars? So if you cannot develop people faster than anybody else, then fire yourself. Okay. And just to add to that, just because you started the company doesn't mean that you're the right CEO. Sure. Exactly. You know, so literally, if you cannot develop people, and that incorporates absolutely everything. Mm. Um, it incorporates you know, spending money on development of people. It incorporates being a counselor, being a friend, having the trust they have on you. Um, it incorporates that people see that you're the last person to eat. You know, the people see that you know, if they got pushed over a cliff, you'll be there to catch them. Mm. That's the biggest thing any CEO requires and needs to do. And if they can't do it, as I said, you don't necessarily have to be one. And people have accepted that. I mean, I have a lot of friends who are founders of the company and they moved on, they do something else because they like the technology side of the business and they made somebody else the CEO, sure. you know, uh, for sure one. Second, it would be, and it is, the company's reason of existence, the company's why is the center of everything. Mm. It's, it's not what they do. It's not what companies do. And every single time you're sitting in a conversation, um, internally, externally, suppliers, customers, uh, partners, introducing brokers, the conversation is always about 
whatever we're trying to do, why is it that we're trying to do this? Is it resonating with our overall mission and values? Mm. Um, does it fall into that? And as a CEO, it's my responsibility that everything that that is done within the company, everything that's done within the office has to resonate with all of those things. Mm. You know, I mean, a value and a mission statement, you know, I wonder sometimes how can companies come up with a mission statement so quickly? You know, it takes months and months and months. It, it's not just a few fancy words out there. You know, it has to mean something and sure. it needs to stand for something. And people who work with you, they need to believe in that. And third thing, it's it's actually simplification and power to the people. For me, it's it's about creating things, creating products, and creating a user experience. Then, as I said to you, that my nine-year-old nephew, well, he's not nine anymore, but sure. the nine and a half you could understand. And the whole idea behind that is, you know, you try to resolve a problem from from a local market's perspective. You know, I mean, as we were discussing earlier, that don't don't just assume there's a problem in the market, and don't just try and solve a problem that only other people see as a problem. Mm. I mean, I'll give you an example. I, when during the my mistake years, okay. I was about to open an insurance company. Oh, right. And I said, there's a lack of interesting insurance companies in the Middle East. Um, we can offer something brilliant. The skill set is available in South Africa. And notice this, skill set, not the belief system. Sure. And let's, let's take that. And good that I never did it. But I believe, yes, there's a problem there, but it was not my problem because I've never, ever insured anything in my entire life. So if I'm not buying and if I'm not believing in that critical thing, then how can I go about solving that? Because every single day I will have to ask somebody else, so what other problem do you face when you buy this? Mm. And then I would need to look for an answer for that. Mm. When it was my problem, I would have all the answers. I would say, I wish if this was done this way. Great, let's yeah. do it. Look, I mean, when, when I came to South Africa... Our main thing has always been at ACM Gold that, you know, we're, we're the only local forex brokers in South Africa. And, and we had to go against the currents and we had to utilize a lot more capital than any company, than any company does in, 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 in this part of the world. Mm. And the reason for that was we wanted to give them a local facility of depositing money, for example. And this, this was a, it seems like a small problem for somebody who only trades the stock markets. But in Forex, it's a very critical problem because you don't want to be sending your funds to an offshore broker. You sure. want to send rands to an FNB, APSA, NetBank account, you mm -hmm. know. And everything was just geared around, for us, it was just geared around that. Mm -hmm. if, if it took more money, that be it. If it sacrificed our revenues, that be it. It didn't matter. It was about solving that critical problem because I saw that as a problem, you know. And there's there's hundreds of examples like that that we've managed to implement in the company, but it really just starts at, do you see it as a problem? Or did a friend tell you that there's this cool company that was featured on TechCrunch and we need to do this business in South Africa? Yeah, very, very well said. We are slowly but surely coming to the end of our conversation. Here's a couple more questions before we part company. Coming to end of a conversation and a couple of more questions. Nice. Guys, have you seen the, have you seen the length of my answers, you know? <laughs> you could probably go on for another hour. Look, I mean, I'd like to spend another hour here. I, I would love to. <laughs> what should future CEOs be studying over and above their formal technical qualifications? And perhaps they've already got some kind of undergraduate degree and they're thinking about doing an MBA or they are in the throes of trying to deal with the workload of an MBA, what else should they be studying over and above that? If all we could do was one thing, and if all we could do was to realize that the two most important days of our life are the day we were born and the day we find out why, mm. and all we could do is find out what is our calling? 
you know, what is it that we would like to do? And, you know, as fluffy, using your own word, as it may sound, but people do not get happiness. Nobody in the world gets happiness by doing things for themselves. Happiness always comes with giving. Mm. And as fluffy as it may sound, every single individual, when they really sit down and try and figure out that what is it that they would like to achieve in their lives, not in terms of number, but literally the purpose of their existence. What is it that they would want people to say about them when they're on their deathbed? If we start from that question, everything else would just unfold. How do you need to develop yourself? What do you need to study? What do you need to go about? I mean, it's such a, I cannot say that you have to go and do this or you have to go and do that. Yes, I can say you have to read a book by Simon Sinek called Start With Your Why. Mm -hmm. Yes, you need to read a book. I don't know the name of the author, but it's it's not what you sell. It's what you stand for, mm-hmm. you know. And yes, you probably a few TED talks would help absolutely a lot if when you're looking for these things. Once mm-hmm. you have found your why, everything around you you will become it will become so easy for anything that comes to you to, for you to say no to it because if it does not fall as part of your value system, if it does not fall as part of your reason of existence, yeah, that why you'll be out of it. So I wish there was a magic wand, or perhaps I used to wish there was a magic wand. Okay. I think there is a magic wand now, and that magic wand is just figure out your core values because everybody has it, and the people have had it for 50,000 years. Mm. You know, since evolution, there, there's been a reason for every individual's existence. We just need to find out what is that. And as, as I said earlier, you know, everything will just start falling, you know, and just the world will start making a lot more sense. Mm. No, you make a very, very good point. I think there are going to be some individuals out there who are asking the question to themselves, but how do I do that? How do I find the why? Give them a little bit of guidance, please. Okay, so instead of instead of using any, any books and these documentations and these conferences and these talks in mind, mm. there's one very, very simple way. Okay. And that simple way is, there's, first, let's start with, there's things that you inspire to do, and then there's things that you do, or you have done. Mm. I inspired to become a professional paraglider. Mm. And it was all very exciting when I started my course. My third jump, and I was bored. Okay. And I realized that all I wanted to do was paragliding to put up photographs on Facebook and get more likes. <laughs> okay. Okay. I just wanted to tell people, yes, I'm a professional paraglider because it sounded cool. Mm. It was an inspiration, but my data tells me that if I really, really, really wanted to do it, I would have taken out time. No matter what happened, I would have taken out time just the way I do for biking, mm-hmm. um, just the way I would do it for, for dirt biking. I would do for poker at some at times. You know, I would do having conversations with individuals and giving them that last push to become an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. The amount of time I've spent doing those things, I just started realizing those things when I sat down alone and said, okay, so where do I spend my time? And I literally started documenting it you know, for the last 10 years saying, so this is what I was doing. This is where I was spending my time. And you start seeing a pattern that, wow, there are really things that you would do for free. Mm. That's great. That's not just a cliche. You know, do something you're passionate about, do something with you. You know, we've been listening to these lines, but they don't resonate with us. They've just become one of those quotations that are good to have on your office wall, you know, but nothing more than that. However, when you start sort of start looking at at things that have inspired you over over your life, things that you have done, things you have rather done than you know go out with your girlfriend or wife, and I'm not talking PlayStation here, but <laughs> but you know things that you have done for other people, 
and there is a pattern that you'll start developing. There is mm. there's things that you'll start seeing through, and that becomes your starting point. Mm. Your starting point is not this is a cool business idea that I like, and let's do something about it. The starting point is this is what I would like to see on my deathbed. Mm. And don't expect this answer to come to you in, in an hour. Okay, I'm going to spend an hour on Saturday night and I'm going to figure out what do I want to say on my deathbed. Mm. If you can, by all means, congratulations. You know, you're luckier than most people. Sure. You know, but it's not going to take weeks either. It's, it's, it's a few days worth of exercise. Some people take weeks. Um, don't let it go to months because then you're just delaying it. Mm. You know, that's like you saying, oh, I don't have time to stop uh, to fuel my car. You know, eventually it will catch up. Yeah, exactly. So, Spend some time thinking about what is it that you would like to say there. Spend some time in figuring out what does your life data says about you. Imagine if all everything that you've ever done was available on a on a on a drive. Mm. What is that thing that has really excited you and inspired you and you would do for free? And then just just look for things that can get you to your goal using those values. Mm. Great answer. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Here's a final question. If you could go back in time and speak to the ambitious, uh, maybe headstrong, 20-year-old you, what would you counsel yourself? Wow. Do I have to keep in mind that at 20-year-old, how was I thinking? <laughs> if, if I could convince my 20-year-old self and give him three pieces of advice mm. as to, you know, this is what you need to do, number one would definitely be develop people faster than anybody else can, you know, and invest in them. Um, you know, that's the biggest asset that you have. And just keep investing in them. My second advice would be, you're an average of five people you spend the most time with. Be very, very careful who you spend your time with because that is what you're going to become irrespective of how you think. Mm. And there's people who might think around right now, there's listeners who might feel that, oh, there's two people they spend a lot of time with, but they're nowhere close to them. And you know what? Unfortunately, you still are. There is no debate on this. There's no argument on mm. this. There are parts of you that resonate, that there are parts of you that have become like those two people that you don't want to yeah. be. There is no exclusions. It is what it is. Mm. You know, data has it. Thousands of life experiences have it. So I would certainly say that to my 20-year-old self. So def develop people, five people you spend the most time with, for sure. And I would keep asking myself the question that I've been asking myself in the last one and a half years. Whatever I'm doing as an individual, as a team, as a tribe, as a company, as an organization, as other companies, you know, whatever we're doing, is it something that we can be the best in the world in? Mm. Or does it fall out of that, that, that perspective? So is it, is it falling part of our reason of existence? And every company that we have has a different reason for existence, but the values are so similar that we love striving and working towards it. I mean, there's, there's a few companies that, we, that I started that I could be part of right now, which are bigger in size, but mm. I just, my, I could resonate with them. I love being there, mm. but it's not 100% and that's why I'm not part of those companies. Sure. So, so I kind of fired myself. So I would definitely keep asking, can I be the best in the world at that, at whatever the company does, whatever I do as an individual? And everything that fell out of, out of that scope, I would find people who could be, who mm. breathe this. You know, I mean, you look at Google, people's Google history, you know, that, like their search history, sure? and if the, all they're searching is best adverts, best branding exercises, best brand campaigns, best this, you know they just love branding. Mm. You know, if you if you look at my Google history, it will all be about how to develop people further, how to measure this particular behavior, how to get more entrepreneurs. How do I get my I want to create 10,000 entrepreneurs. I'm only sitting at 350. How do I make that process faster? Mm. You know, it's all just about entrepreneurship development, personal development, measuring behavior. That's all it's what my Google history is all mm. about, you know. So find people who breathe 
things that you won't get done and give those things to those people. Mm. That would be my third thing. Fantastic. I found it's been a, a really, really great conversation and uh, we've really appreciated spending time with you. Any last word before we end this? You know, I just kind of shared my experiences here. If it sounds fluff, it sounds fluff. If it sounds good, it sounds good. You know, it's take it from where it comes from. By no means should my the, the amount of money that we have made in the past be any reason for you to believe me, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, take it from where it comes. Um, these are things that I live by on a day-to-day basis, you know. Mm-hmm. So, as I said, and one last thing would be if you really, if you really forget abs- about absolutely everything, um, just remember you're an average of five people you spend the most time with. Ufan Padesi, this has been a great opportunity. Uh, I've had a phenomenal time. Thank you for sharing with us. Thank you for sharing with our community. Uh, we really appreciate you. Thank you very much, Gareth. Thanks a lot. That was Irfan Padesi, the founder and CEO of ACM Gold. If you would like to make contact with him, you can find ACM Gold's contact details and links to their website on the summary page on our website. I'm Gareth Armstrong. Jump onto our website for another insightful and empowering interview with a top executive tomorrow. Thanks for joining us today on Future CEOs, and we hope you're feeling inspired and ready to take action. Head over to future-ceos.com for show summaries, recaps, articles, and other resources aimed at fast-tracking your rise to CEO status. To make it even easier for you, simply sign up for our weekly newsletter, and we'll keep you up to date on all interviews, special guest appearances, new developments, and more.